Good evening. We're glad that you're here tonight. We're always grateful for the opportunity to be together. We're thankful for a beautiful day and for the privilege that we have of being together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking at John, the fourth chapter, the passage that was read just a moment ago. There are several verses that we want to appeal to tonight in our study. And I do appreciate those of you that are here tonight. We're grateful for the good number that comes back each Sunday night. And we hope and pray that those who may not be as regular as we would like would see the importance of coming back and being present for evening worship services as well as Wednesday night Bible study. Tonight, I want to, I want to talk for a minute or two about an unlikely soul winner. Sometimes the most unlikely people become the greatest servants. There have been any number of individuals down through time that when you begin to look at them, evaluate their background, their education, and other things, you wonder, what would they have to contribute to the cause of Christ? And yet sometimes those are the people that become the greatest servants of the Lord. What would you think if I told you that a woman that had been married five times and was living with a man would ultimately become a great soul winner? That's really the case that we have before us in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. I want you to think with me for a minute or two about a woman from Samaria. Her name is irrelevant. The Lord did not see fit to identify her. But when we look at her encounter with the Lord, the thing that impresses me and ought to impress all of us is the profound influence that she had on her people. She became a great soul winner. So let's first of all think about the Samaritan's woman, the Samaritan woman's encounter with the Lord. As I think about her meeting, John tells us that Jesus came to a city of Samaria. The Bible tells us that it was a place near Sychar. There was a well there, Jacob's well. Sychar, or Shechem, was located about 35 miles or so north of the city of Jerusalem. And so it's here that the Lord encounters this woman from Samaria. And when he meets her, they begin a conversation. Look, if you would, at verse 6. The Bible tells us that Jesus was wearied from his journey. And he sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Based on Jewish time, that would be about noontime, 12 o'clock. This woman from Samaria, she comes to draw water. And Jesus asked a question of her. Or really, ask a favor. Give me something to drink. Now look at what is said. 
The disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with, with the Samaritans. There was long-standing animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, and that had been going back several hundred years. The Jews looked upon the Samaritans as what we would call half-breeds. They despised them. And as John points out, the Jews and the Samaritans, there was such tension there that they had no dealings with one another. So when Jesus, during the course of this conversation, asked this woman for a drink of water, you can just imagine how that caught her off guard. Now let me just pause here and ask this question. What would you talk about? Were you in a similar position with the Lord Jesus? Can you imagine having the opportunity to sit down and talk to the Son of God? Here's a woman from Samaria, and she understands the deep-seated animosity, the ill will that has existed throughout time between her people and the Jewish people. And Jesus Christ takes the time to talk to her. Were you in that position? What would you have talked about? Well, note if you would, the continuation. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, Jesus here is talking about spiritual things. She's thinking about physical things. Very similar to John chapter 3 when Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus. You remember Jesus talked to him about the new birth. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought he was talking about a physical birth. And so he asked the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Nicodemus was thinking physical things. Jesus is talking about spiritual things. This woman is thinking about physical water. And Jesus is talking about spiritual things. And so the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. That is the water that comes from Jacob's well. But he said, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now you can just imagine when Jesus said this, what this woman's thinking. Again, she's, she's thinking in her mind about physical things. And so listen to what she says. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Completely missed the point as we say. Well, note what Jesus says to her. Go call your husband 
and come here. Now here we have insight into her reputation. We think about the conversation and out of this conversation we learn about her reputation. So Jesus said, go call your husband. She said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. In other words, you got that right. Here is a woman that has, as we would say, a problematic past. She's been married multiple times. And I think we're, we are garnered here insight into the omnipotence of Jesus. John tells us that Jesus was the Word who became flesh. John said in chapter 2 that Jesus knew all men. He did not need that any testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus knew this woman's reputation. He knew her past. And so during the course of their conversation, they're talking about drawing water from Jacob's well, and Jesus is trying to do what? He's trying to change her life for the better. And so he says, go call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Well, you've had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. Now listen to verse 19. Listen, if you would, to her evaluation. Now we talk about people catching on fast. This woman, a light went on. She caught on fast. She said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now the Samaritans, they believed in the Pentateuch. That is the first five books of the Old Testament. They did not believe in the writings of the prophets. Now we can read Luke chapter 24, verse 44, and Jesus talked about how that which had been recorded or written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning him had to be fulfilled, and they were fulfilled. This woman had limited knowledge of the coming of the Messiah. From the vantage point, she did not believe in the words of the prophets. Isaiah, for example. Isaiah, the statesman prophet, had many things to say about the coming of the Messiah. From his virgin birth to his suffering on Calvary. So she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. Listen now to what is said. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. In other words, on Mount Gerizim. That was the place where the Samaritans worshipped. Where was the true place of worship? according to the Old Testament. Jerusalem, where the temple was. And so the Samaritans were worshiping in error. And so in verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem, that's where men ought to worship God. Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming 
when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. The Messiah would ultimately come through the lineage of Abraham, the Jewish people. Some would say that when Jesus requested that she go call her husband, that she changed the subject. And I think you can make a case for that. I mean, sometimes we're talking to somebody and they introduce something that makes us uncomfortable. We're not willing to go there. So what do we do? We change the, we, we change the subject. We want to talk about something that we're more comfortable with. And so this was a longstanding question, the place of worship. And so she just moves into that realm of discussion. But Jesus said, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, look at verse 25. In verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, out of their meeting and the course of this conversation, we have her reputation revealed or exposed. We have an evaluation by her. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You're somebody great. Well, note if you would what Jesus does at this juncture. The Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God identifies himself. When you begin to look through the gospel narratives, isn't it interesting that on very, on very few occasions, Jesus identifies himself. He presents the evidence and then people draw their own conclusions. On this occasion, Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Now in the ninth chapter of John, we have Jesus giving sight to a blind man. He had been born blind. The disciples asked the question, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, neither this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God might be revealed in him. So Jesus gives sight to this man that has been born blind. And as a result of that, draws a lot of fire from the religious people of that day. The latter part of John chapter nine, Jesus asked this man a very profound question. He said, do you believe in the son of God? And that man said, Lord, who is he that I might believe? And Jesus said, it is both, well, Jesus said, it is, he said, you've both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. What did Jesus do? He identified himself. He said, in essence, I'm the son of God. Well, on this occasion, what does Jesus do? He identifies himself. He says, I am the son of God. I am the Messiah, the Christ, the one that the prophets of old foretold of. And in her case, it would have been Moses. But now I want you to think about the Samaritan woman's encouragement or evangelistic efforts on behalf of Jesus. Now, I want you to look with me, if you would, at verse 27. 
In verse 27, John said at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, we have this woman leaving the presence of Jesus and becoming what we would call a faithful missionary. Note if you would, verse 28. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. As we think about how she became a faithful missionary for the Lord, a couple of things that I want to just suggest for a moment. First of all, consider the Lord's influence on her. Here is a brief encounter. I'm not sure how much time elapsed over the course of their conversation. But here is Jesus, and they are... And, and Jesus is engaged in conversation with this woman. And in a very brief period of time, he makes a profound influence on her. Or he makes a profound impression upon her. When she comes to realize who he is, what does she do? She becomes an influence for the Lord. There are a couple of other examples that I would cite for you. Let, let me just call attention to Mark chapter 5. In the fifth chapter of the book of Mark, we read about a man that was demon-possessed. And apparently, he had numerous or many demons possessing him. He identified himself as legion because he said, we are many. Jesus cast those demons out of him. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, Mark details the events that occurred on that occasion. After all that was said and done, the man that had been liberated from demon possession begged Jesus to stay with him. He wanted to be with him. And I suspect that we would too. But this man wanted to be with the Lord. And Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. How did that man respond? The Bible says that he went out and began to proclaim in Decapolis, that is literally the 10 cities, all that Jesus had done for him. And Mark said that the people marveled. What do we have there? We have the influence of the Lord on that man and then that man's influence for the Lord. The same occurrence as in John chapter 4. Same thing. You have a woman that's been influenced by the Lord and then she goes out and becomes an influence for the Lord. Let me give you a second example. And I think this is a great example. In Acts chapter 4, we have, we have two apostles, P 
Peter and John being called on the carpet. They had healed a man at the gate of the temple back in chapter three of the book of Acts as recorded by Luke. The religious leaders literally call them on the carpet and they wanna know by what power or what name have you done this great thing? Well, we know that this man had been healed by the power of the Lord. And so, in verse 13, Luke said that the religious leaders of that day, they realized that these men were unlearned and uneducated. Their conclusion, they had spent time with Jesus. Now, the Lord had influenced them. He had spent about three years of his life ministering to people. They had seen his great works. They had heard him speak. They had come to believe that he was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so they were commanded not to preach nor teach in the name of Jesus. And you can just imagine their response. They said, whether it's right in the sight of God to hearken to you more than God, you judge. But we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. What do you have there? The Lord's influence on them and their influence for the Lord. So this woman became a faithful missionary. Listen again to what is said. Verse 28, she leaves her water pot. She says, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now look at verse 30. Then they went out of the city and came to him. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Not only was she a faithful missionary, she was a fruitful missionary. How do I know that? Well, she enabled people to make a connection with Jesus. I want to ask you this question. Is it not our task as members of the body of Christ to get people in front of the Son of God. In other words, what we're trying to do as members of the body of Christ is to, is to get people in front of Jesus. He wants an audience. And so our task is to put them before him. That's all this woman did. Look again at what she says. Come see a man. And then she asked a question, could this be the Christ? Sometimes in our personal work, all we need to do is ask a question. You want to talk about the master teacher, Jesus. I would encourage you sometime, go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and note the numerous times Jesus asked a question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's just one example. There are lots of questions that Jesus posed to people in an effort to what? To get a response, to get people to thinking. So, ask a question. A second thing, invite. Look at this woman, come, come see a man. 
What is our, what, what is our goal as, as, as New Testament Christians? We are trying to invite people to come and see. We want people to see for themselves what the Bible teaches about the church, about Christ, about the redemptive plan, about the blessings and favors that can be enjoyed in Christ. But we've got to get them in front of Jesus. And that's what she did. We have to somehow connect people with Jesus. Along those lines, drop down, drop down now and look at verse 39. In verse 39, we have the testimony about Jesus. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. The theme of our study, an unlikely soul winner. I mean, if I, if, if I were to tell you and, and you knew nothing about John chapter 4, that here is a woman that's been married five times, she's living with a guy, and she becomes a great soul winner for the Lord Jesus Christ, would you have believed it? I can promise you there are people that have well, past, they have a history, as we would say, that maybe they're not proud of. But the beauty of Christianity is what's in the past is in the past. God is not concerned about what we were. What he's concerned about is what we are. And when you look at this woman's testimony about Jesus, Look at the profound influence that she has on her people. Think about that man that had been liberated from those demons in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things he's done for you, what great things the Lord's done for you. What did he do? He went home. He went to the very people that he knew and he used that influence for good. And Mark said they marveled. Now look at verse 40. In verse 40, we have time spent with Jesus. When the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. So we have the testimony about Jesus, and then we have time spent with Jesus, and then the testimony of Jesus himself. So here's, here's the question. After everything was said and done, what was the conclusion? This woman has put people before the Son of God. She has put people in a position to draw some conclusions. Jesus spent two days with these people. What do you think they talked about? Do you suppose that Jesus went back to the Pentateuch? The first five books of the Old Testament and talked about the writings of Moses? Don't you think that he went to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and talked about that prophet that God promised to raise up like unto Moses? 
Don't you think that he talked to them about how he is the bread of life, John 6, 45, the light of the world, John 8, verse 12, the resurrection and the life, John chapter 11. Don't you think that he talked to them about how he is the word who became flesh and that he came to seek and to save the lost? Now, what about their conclusion? Because really, here's the important part. What was their conclusion about Jesus? Look at verse 42. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Do you remember what John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14? He said, we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. John was an inspired apostle. John had the opportunity to spend three years with Jesus to draw those conclusions that the one that he spent time with was indeed the Son of the living God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Here were people that had only been in the presence of Jesus for two days, and yet their conclusion was, this is the Christ the Savior of the world. Now, what is my task as a soul winner or as a child of God, a preacher, a teacher? What, what is it that the Lord wants from all of us as members of the body of Christ? The Lord wants us to give him an audience with our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, people that we play golf with or play tennis with or whatever. He wants us to give him an audience. Look, the word stands on its own. When you and I have the opportunity to present the facts, when we can sit down and talk to people about Jesus of Nazareth, the one that was born of the Virgin Mary, that fulfilled all the prophecies, that came and lived and died and has ascended to heaven and who will one day come again, when we can present these facts, then our job is done. And then the ball is in their court. They can draw their own conclusions. Do I want people to respond to the gospel when I preach and teach? You better believe it. You better know that I want people to respond. But I do not want people to respond because I'm preaching or I'm teaching. I don't want them to respond because they feel that they feel like they have to for me. I want people to respond to the gospel because they see it themselves. Because their conclusion is, this is the Christ, the Son of God. And if I don't obey him, I'm lost. I want people to draw that conclusion. As a parent, we talk about our children. We, we want to influence our children for the cause of Christ. We want to see them obey the gospel. But we do not want our children to obey the gospel just to please us. Does it please us? Yes. But... Our children cannot ride our coattails. They have to develop their own faith. So what I have to do, I have to present the evidence and then I have to let them draw the conclusion. 
What is that conclusion? Jesus is the son of God. These people had been impacted for the cause of Christ. Here is one woman. One woman. Whose reputation was soiled. And yet, look at all of the good that she did. I would say she was a great soul winner. Do you know what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 11 many, many years ago? He that wins souls is wise. In the church, what what is it we are supposed to be about? What are we in the business of doing? Saving souls. If we are not in the soul-saving business, we might as well board this building up. If we're not trying to evangelize and reach out and make, and make a difference in the lives of people, we're in the wrong business. We have so much to offer. Sadly, Some of us have a better past history. We're better educated. We're more affluent than this woman would have ever been. But she puts us to shame. She took what she had and she used it for good, for the cause of Christ. The Lord's not asking us to be Superman or Superwoman. He's just asking us to do our part. It's not just my responsibility to reach out to the lost, nor is it Jared's responsibility or Billy's or the elders or the de- It's everybody's responsibilities. It's everyone's responsibility. Jesus said, go. That includes everyone. So, I close tonight by saying this. Maybe you do not think of yourself as a soul winner. Could I encourage you to rethink your position in life and your position in Christ? You have influence. Use it. And use it wisely. And use it often for the cause. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ believing that he is the son of God? John 8, 24. Could I encourage you to repent, to give up a life of sin, to confess the sweetest name on mortal tongue that Jesus is the son of God, and then to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, just like they did on Pentecost Day. When you do that, God will forgive every sin. He will add you to the church, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. You will enjoy all spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3. You will have the promise of life eternal. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, could I encourage you to come home? Let me close by saying this. I hope all of us who are present are heaven bound. If we are heaven bound, 
Wouldn't it be that much sweeter to know that we've taken somebody with us? Let's do what we can to take others with us to heaven. Come as we stand and sing.